0: I was just switching pressures, because now I was just shifting the the full energy from the crypto company to the boot company.
1: Hey podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out TropicalMBA.com. Hey, yo, welcome back to the pod. Since I'm back in the States, it's good to be back. And the boss man did today's interview. I thought I'd give him a quick buzz. Yo. Boss man. What's going on? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this interview you did. And I thought I'd call you up to, you know, we could do this introduction together.
2: All right. All right. Where are you? Are you on the road?
1: I'm not on the road yet. I'm heading your direction. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm uh, almost in your time zone. I'm getting close. Okay. Today, we have Will Roman on, on the podcast, and I'm going to sort of list out his background and stuff. But I'm curious, why did you reach out to him, invite him to your ranch at to interview him?
2: I feel like I'm on a footwear streak. You know, A couple, <laughs> couple months ago, we interviewed the founder of Hari Mari Flip Flops. Somebody heard us complaining about the quality of flip flops and they reached out to us. I had fun on that one. And then uh, Will is the guy that I met, probably one of the first people that I met in Austin, Texas. He started a lot of different weird, crazy businesses. And his recent one is a boot company. And being in Texas, that's very interesting to me. I had a chance to look at the product firsthand. It's amazing product. And so I wanted to have Will on the show and talk about this new boot company that he started.
1: Yeah. you know, Will's one of these guys, like international man of mystery. He's sort of involved in all these stories, but he's also involved in all these diverse different businesses and business models. He seems to be a guy who knows how to get something done. So I guess the idea of today's episode is that we might get an insight to how his mind works. And I just pulled up his uh, Dynamite Circle profile because he's been a member of our community for quite some time. And he lists his industries that he's been involved in as uh, the following consulting and services, crypto and blockchain, e-commerce, physical products and manufacturing, SaaS and software sales, web and app development. Will's a guy who uh, does a lot of different things.
2: Uh, Mysterious he is. I don't know if you remember this, but last year... You and I were going into the uh, the AppSumo office every once in a while to uh, use the recording studio that Noah's built there, and just generally hang out. And there was a desk there with a computer on it. And after a couple times coming in, I was like, started asking around, "Whose desk is this?" And you know, there's just a computer sitting here. It's just it was odd to me, right? Because everybody's working during the day. Somebody
1: doesn't work that much.
2: Yeah, there's this lonely computer, and uh, they said, "Oh, that's Will's." And I go, "I know Will," and I go, "But." why is he never here? And they said, I don't know. I think he comes in, he creeps in at night sometimes. <laughs> you know, I haven't asked him about that directly, but I think that was the early days of Chisos boots, which is uh, what we're going to talk about today.
1: Cool. So let's get into it. To cut to the chase, Will, who is Austin, Texas, born and bred, is currently a manufacturer of those beautiful, comfortable cowboy boots that he's recently set up, and he's called them Chisos. Very cool name. Well, she started after a stressful but ultimately successful exit from a crypto exchange business. So from crypto to cowboy boots, that just sounds like a TMBA podcast episode waiting to happen. So without further explanation, Ian, we're going to roll the interview that you did. Set the scene of your sort of what you would call a podcast studio, I guess. So imagine assorted cans of inflammable, potentially hazardous liquids, your famous surgical gloves. You always have these surgical gloves everywhere in various stages of use and distress, many sports cars and their parts scattered around, and I'm assuming some alcohol's involved somewhere. So that's all a long way of saying, Ian, some of the audio you're going to hear today isn't the best, but hopefully the content will bring it. So sorry about that. So this conversation is going to start with Will's story last year, just as he's exited that crypto business.
0: We went through the acquisition process. And so we closed that out at the end of June. And nothing is secure until that money hits the bank. You know, there's so many times, 11th hour where we had things yanked away and we had to go back to the table. But on a personal note, I had gone all in on the on the tech company. We did raise venture capital. We raised at the height of the that crypto bubble. The bubble continued to collapse till the month that we sold, and of course started to turn around the month after. So what that meant though is that we we needed additional funds.
3: so you were really invested in the outcome of this of this company selling
0: If we hadn't either turned the company around or been acquired. I would have been looking at bankruptcy. It's really the entrepreneurial roller coaster.
3: You had financed everything to make sure that this this happened, and I think you know it's one of the things that makes entrepreneurs different than normal people. I think is that you're willing to put yourself in this situation where you could like potentially lose it all. I mean, most rational human beings would not put themselves in this situation. <laughs> so why do you feel equipped to put yourself in that situation?
0: I think it goes back as almost everything goes back to our childhoods. And for me, we didn't grow up in an environment where we had means. I want to create a life for my family, to, my family to come and, and my current siblings that we weren't able to have. When I grew up, you know, and the jobs that I've had, really up until the one that I have right now, it wasn't like I got to sit back and, and Take a pick from the buffet. It was i 'm hungry. this thing is in front of me i 'm going to eat it and so having that that optionality to create a different life is what is motivating me and, and it at times requires gambling things that if I had grown up with a larger safety net, I wouldn't have wanted to risk that safety net, but I grew up without one, and for better or for worse. I can operate in that in that space again. Take me to the moment where the
3: money hits the bank when you sell this company.
0: It wasn't what I was expecting. It's um, kind of anticlimactic. You know, I don't know how it was for you, but when I always dreamed of this moment, I think in my head there were fireworks in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was confetti. And honestly, you know, we drug this across the line at, eleven fifteen PM, forty five minutes before the deadline when the entire thing would fall apart. One of the things with my particular scenario is that it was an equity acquisition. So our stock converted into stock in the acquiring company. There's no cash exchange hands. I realized early on that I wanted to not go with the company. So I negotiated with the acquiring company with my co founders. I would give up the majority of my stake for the right to sell because there were people on the private market who wanted to own stock in the company that was buying us.
3: You wanted to essentially convert your equity into cash. And the way that you figured out how to do that was to sell to the public market, your private shares.
0: For legal purposes to another private market of accredited investors.
3: (laughs) But you figured out a way to, to convert your shares into cash.
0: It took an army. You know, my my co-founders opened up their Rolodex to really help me with this. That's exactly what happened. Is we were able to find buyers, and so all of the the deals that we struck were predicated upon the acquisition happening on a certain time frame. And the acquisition hit roadblocks and got pushed back, and so we finally closed forty five minutes before all of those other deals would have fallen apart. Wow! And so it was this very. Weird feeling, and I went to Magnolia Cafe here in Austin.
3: It's a 24-hour
0: cafe. It's been around for forever. Mm, classic diner. And I got a banana pancake to celebrate <laughs> by myself. <laughs> What's your thoughts? Like, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you relieved? To be honest, none of those emotions set in that quickly. The relief didn't come for another four weeks you know i think when you're so so tightly wound it has to unwind and i just started thinking about what was next that event made the next venture possible which was already in motion and if if that event had not happened then the following one would not have happened either
3: so let's talk about this next one which is chiso's cowboy boots but before we, we do that, or before we talk directly about what's going on now, I want to know about your emotional departure from this cryptocurrency company. Because at some point, you decided, this isn't for me and I want to sh- I want to sell my shares or I'm not going to go with the aqua hire or whatever it was that was going to happen to everybody else. So at what point did you decide that this wasn't going to be the path
0: that was for you? The answer is intertwined with how the boot company was born. So December of 2018, we had a really rough time with the crypto company. We ended up having to lay off the majority of the staff and we made the decision to do it before Christmas so people would have additional time. I got to the end of that month completely depleted emotionally. And the first of, you know, January 2019, I drove to West Texas. And that's where I go to recharge. So out in West Texas is Big Bend National Park, the Chisos Mountains, Marfa and Terlingua, and and all these desert towns. And the landscape there is otherworldly. So I'm out there and I'm in this contemplative state. And, you know, I wear boots a lot. But when I'm in West Texas, I wear them exclusively. I think I saw the potential for the the cryptocurrency to company to end you know it's almost like seeing your own death Mm -hmm. and let me really take stock of what we've built here and and where i want to go i was you know sitting on the porch with my boots up one night and my back was hurting because you know i had an injury in my 20s and i've just gotten older and so boots aren't as comfortable as they used to be and i looked at it and i said man how hard can it be to make a comfortable cowboy boot so, my back doesn't hurt. So, my back doesn't hurt. I'll tell you this. Turns out it's pretty damn hard. <laughs> if I had known, I probably wouldn't be here. Um, but, you know, that's where the idea was born. I got back to Austin. We met the person who eventually acquired the company in December. And so we had this parallel track of us shifting our own mindsets to acquisition. Because originally, you know, we wanted to build, you know, something huge. And at the same time, I got rolling on the boot company. Did your co-founders, employees, there did they know about this? Co-founders did absolutely. So we we we've got great relationship. I was up front with them. Again, at the beginning it it was just exploratory of like doing research just like you might do for any hobby. You know, it was hey, I'm I'm thinking about this. There were no surprises there. Um but that's where the seed was born for separating myself emotionally from the you know the fate of of the crypto company and then shifting it to this this new entity which was my own.
3: And so with the boots tell me a little bit about how you started to pursue it like what does it look like to be interested in something versus like actually going after it.
0: Step 1 you get a hacksaw. <laughs> Step 2 you cut open your very expensive boots. <laughs> 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 and you figure out what what what's inside boots can get expensive you know you can go down to the shop today and get a pair for three thousand dollars i've seen boots that are over 10 i didn't have those but you know it's, it's several hundred dollars for the pairs you know I, i'm having to pay retail you know to get my hands on these i wouldn't of course and, and, and wised up and, and went and bought a bunch of old used boots too
3: eventually you did you bought used boots and then you cut those open
0: yeah Stage one was just kind of wrapping my head around it, right? So thank God for Google, and there's actually a bunch of great old books on boot making, the history of boot making, when uh, designer you know started to get more eccentric in the designs. There's this whole rich history, and then there was the you know keeping my hands busy, and so that was going and tearing them open, and then seeing the things that I was reading about, and putting two and two together, and understanding. I also started to see. Where people were cutting corners, which was interesting. So my original my original intent was, I need to make a comfortable boot. What I had been doing is buying boots a half size too big and putting inserts from Walmart in them. You know, so didn't feel great. Felt better. Looked like I was wearing clown shoes. And then when I looked into the boot, I was like, man, this is a Walmart boot. You know, I paid a lot of money for it. It just didn't. It just wasn't. It wasn't what I wanted to exist. But once I got in there, I realized that not only is there an opportunity to reimagine and restructure how cowboy boots are made but the big brands have been cutting corners in order to reduce cost and to increase their output here's a very simple example that i think you know will resonate is that the rear of a of a boot is called the heel counter
3: that's your chisos boot hitting my concrete floor and
0: you know it felt really comfortable when i did it. A good handmade cowboy boot or any leather shoe, really, they have this, the heel counter in the rear of the boot. It's essentially the structural integrity of the boot. This, along with, you know, the steel shank, perhaps. And it's made of leather. And this is why boots will last 40 years. They will mold to your ankle shape, actually, over time. So the, the heat and the moisture of, your, of, of wearing them allows them to conform to you and your unique shape. And then you can get them resold and you can last. Well, here's what's been happening is that if you're a big company and you've got a factory with 600 employees and you need to turn out boots quickly, you start looking for ways to do it faster. So what people have started doing is they use thermoplastic in that heel counter, you know, fiberglass. It sets in a few seconds. You know, they're, they're pre-structured. You put them in, you're done, next one. Well, here's the problem with that is that plastic cracks. And once it does, you cannot replace that in your boot. You know, you'll get a few years out of it and then it's done. You know, Leather, you'll have that the rest of your life. The problem is it takes 12 to 18 hours for it to set.
3: In the manufacturing process, it takes 12 to 18 hours for it to set. Correct. This is the part that cups the back of your ankle. So this is the structural integrity of most shoes, and especially boots. Yes. This is like what keeps your ankle, or your heel rather, in the shoe.
0: Here's what was astounding, is that the boots that I'm cutting open at this point are 400 800 $900, and they're using plastic in these $900 boots that they're selling as a premium item. I feel like this happens a lot,
3: by the way, which is like, somebody designs a, a product. It's a very good product. It probably has leather in the heel initially, right? Everybody loves it. And then quietly, it gets replaced with plastic. And then quietly, this changes. And then quietly, that changes. Meanwhile, the corporation is
0: profiting wildly, right? Exactly. It's a little insidious. I mean, it, it, it almost, you know what I mean? They build a reputation and then they profit off the reputation while undercutting all the new customers.
3: So what happens once you figure out that these boots are being manufactured in a way that they weren't originally and that's
0: not superior? At this point, I was mad. You know, add, add motivation to this, right? So not only is there the personal side, now there's the like, you know, I just want to prove something to these guys. It's very simple, really, at the heart of it, is that I just wanted to make something of the highest quality that I wanted, you know, and that I could share with other people. This is actually where I started to realize, you know, that I was onto something that I could really get excited about. When you're a kid, it's like big red fire trucks and, you know, and dump trucks and boots. Like these are the coolest things <laughs> in the world.
1: I love today's dynamite deal. Get a load of this. It is done for you. Soup to nuts podcast launch service, also podcast management service. So if you need a production team to help you consistently put out shows, and also we have a package for audits. With some of these packages, if you take advantage of today's Dynamite deal, you'll save thousands of dollars. Our partner is Lower Street. One of their current clients is one of the top business podcasts in the UK, Secret Leaders. Our partner with this Dynamite deal launched their podcast and it was at the top of the business podcast charts for its first week. Look, launching a podcast is a lot of work. is an understatement of the century. Anybody can record their voice, but to have the know-how skills, patience, research, all this stuff to create a well-produced show that attracts and retains listeners is not easy stuff. That said, the potential benefit of having a regular podcast to your business brand or just for fun in terms of profit and the opportunities that it could bring to your business are enormous. Forget about DIYing it or hiring a team or whatever. With today's Dynamite deal, you can have a polished and consistent podcast launched in short order. So if you want to find out more and get your podcast either launched or upgraded or just more consistent, check out what you can get done with our partner, Lower Street, over at dynamitedeals.co. We got a bunch of wonderful packages there where you can save thousands. Again, that's dynamitedeals.co.
0: So all of this is starting to gestate at, at that period as I realize, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But one of the things I, I was like, I need a mentor. Back in the day, I would have gotten gotten a seven-year apprenticeship, but I'm impatient, so I didn't have seven years. And one of the things with with Boots is that of the boots that you see in the United States that are handmade are coming from Mexico. You know, boots fall into, let's call it, three really broad categories. You've got ones that are made pretty much like tennis shoes on machines in China. You have, on the far extreme, you've got one guy who is measuring your feet and making you a custom pair for you. And then there's, of course, a number of things in the middle, but the other, the step right below that one would be A handmade, hand lasted pair of of genuine leather boots crafted slowly, you know, but still to a standard size. And those are predominantly made in Mexico. Once you get into Mexico, there's four factories that all the big boys here use. The state of Guanajuato has a city in it uh, which is the leather capital of North America. And that's where those four factories are, along with most of the dress shoes that you see and saddles and handbags and everything else. So I put out a call to basically everybody that I knew saying, who knows somebody that knows one of these places? I eventually found a friend of a friend who was involved in that business and got on a plane and went down there and went and and met these large factories.
3: And what was your idea at this point? Was it, hey, I'm going to manufacture boots or I want to learn more about the process? Where were you in your development?
0: You know, I wanted two things, both of which they didn't want to offer, to be honest. I wanted an education. You know, I wanted someone who was willing to walk me through the process and sit me down. And then secondly, I wanted to change the things that they had been doing for the past 70 years, you know, and when I went to the big shops, they weren't interested in either of those things. They have their setup really is one long supply chain.
3: They've streamlined their operations to be profitable and to crank out a bunch of boots. I mean, all the problems that you had found with the boots, I'm sure you would encounter in the factories, right? Because that's
0: where that's where the streamlining starts. Exactly, the problems in the boots come from the fact that they have realized efficiencies in their factories. You know quality and efficiency at least in this setting are opposed to each other. so I went down there and i and I met the owners, but I also went down and i and I toured the the floors and I met some of the guys down on the shop floor again and through my friend who who brought me in in the first place, and those guys they were able to actually direct me to a small workshop and It's a guy whose dad used to work for one of the big boys and always wanted to work for himself. Father and son opened a small workshop and they took me under their wing. But they were willing to experiment with me.
3: By the way, there's an important lesson here. You don't always walk through the front door, right? Like. Sometimes you got to walk through the back door and find the guys that are uh, actually grinding out the work. Talk to them about how this stuff works or where you can figure it out. And I've done this many times.
0: That is so true.
3: So you find these guys that seems like maybe you're at a point in your careers where where you're both in alignment, right? You want to start this boot company. They want to start this manufacturing the way that they feel like it should be done. Were you their anchor client or had they already started? The business?
0: No, they'd already started the business. They had a few clients here in the United States that were making very, very high-end, well-made boots. So we had an alignment on our values there. They're also very—it's a family-run. It's very values-driven. They know the names of everybody that's working for them. And again, you know, there's only maybe 20 people there as opposed to six or seven hundred at the other ones. So in general it was very different and I was asking them to take a risk but you're right about our alignment you know they need to make a name for themselves if you're a big factory in the United States or big company in the United States you want to work with the big boys that you know can deliver and we're going to do it cheaper so their product wasn't necessarily in line with what the market was wanting i'm attempting to build a brand and build a company that has a different set of values but also as a different quality of product. And so if I'm successful, then they will be successful. Not only did they take me under and and teach me about lasting, teach me about tanning, teach me about even the packaging process, they did it really quickly. They were willing to have me come in there. I spent three months down in Mexico. When I started at the big boys, they said, If you want to come up with a new design, it'll take 18 months minimum. We did it in about a third of that time.
3: Yeah. It makes sense to me because these guys, you know, they probably saw something that you saw in them. Here's a real opportunity. Like your vision's aligned. This is something that I've done for years in China. It's like you have to find the right kind of factory with the right values, the right trajectory. All these things have to align for you guys to move forward and, and make business together.
0: So all of this was you know, ramping up while the sale of the crypto company was happening. And if the crypto company had collapsed, I also knew that this new company would collapse. And the pressure of that was high. And so when, that, when we finally did close that night and I'm sitting at the diner, It was really not this feeling of like overwhelming happiness. It was the beginning of taking some of that pressure off, but I was just switching pressures because now I was just shifting the the full energy from the crypto company to the boot company. And at this point, I believed, and I still do, that the boot company is the thing that I want to do potentially for the rest of my life. So it was really at that moment was less about relief, hey, I get to take it easy now, and more about, all right, now we're in the fight for real on this new thing.
3: How are you going to compete being so honest and forthright when these guys are putting plastic in their boots? I mean, their profit margins have to be better than yours, right? They are,
0: and their volumes are higher, but they have a bunch of private equity firms to make happy. Those companies are built to sell. If I were to look at the competitive landscape, you know, and, and there are several dozen fairly large bootmakers, but the brands in, in our area, the one that has the most legacy has been sold over 20 times in its history. The other one, which is coming in at more the, the lower end of the market, they have to achieve such massive numbers. You know, they need to eclipse a hundred million in revenue in order to be sold, in order to get their investors' money back. What's going to happen then is a PE firm is going to buy them and it's going to slash 30% of the staff and it's going to reduce the quality even further. And they're going to finally make the company profitable as opposed to just a customer acquisition land grab. And they can all go and play that game. And I can be over here. And I can sell my boots to the other people that like good products and like honest folk, and believe that a business should stay in business if it just sells the thing that it makes. You know, I don't need to make a hundred million dollars a year. If I make a percentage of what they're making, I'm be the happiest man in Texas.
3: Well, I want you to tell me a little bit about the story between Magnolia Cafe and where we are today, because a lot's happened since then. You started to describe to me the other day about your first shipment and it sounded a lot like my first shipment. Our first shipment came to port. This was like almost you know 10 years ago. This was over 10 years ago. Came to port. I promised a bunch of people this stuff like three days and it was hung up in port. I couldn't get to it, all this stuff. You told me a similar story. How did your first production run go?
0: One of the things with the schedule that we were under is that I knew we needed to get into the Christmas shopping season of 2019, in order to make the business have some sort of capital base to operate from, and so one that put a huge amount of stress on the production team. I needed to build up excitement for the brand, and, and people wanted to touch them. You know, I needed I needed people to be able to see what I had been doing, kind of in 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 private, and be able to see it for themselves. And so we had the social media presence built up, and we launched November first pre sales. 2019. 2019, correct. Okay. So this is just a couple months ago. Just a couple months ago. And we had a launch party scheduled for the 24th of that month.
3: But Back up just a minute. You'd been working on this for basically a year, right? Yes. Before that. Okay. So 2018, you started thinking about this and then it took you until 2019. January of 2019
0: is actually where I started.
3: Okay. So it took you about nine months before you get to this. So that's No time at all, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you went from an idea to samples to product in basically 10 months, 11 months?
0: That's correct. And so we wanted to have our boots on display of course, at the party. We wanted people to be able to try them on, to be able to buy them there and get them delivered in December. And I wanted everyone who'd done pre-orders to be reassured that we were doing the thing that we said we were doing. And so the factory sent us and agreed to send us a shipment of 30 pairs that were the first ones off the line. And so first of all, this was an incredibly tight deadline for the workshop. I was down in Mexico helping and then came back to prepare for the the event. They shipped the boots. They get caught up in customs. And this is two days before the party now. We had sold 325 tickets to their launch party. We had a launch party where we sold tickets for 20 bucks a pop to get in. We had sponsors from other Austin brands, which are incredible. And we had three of the best musical acts in the city and no boots. And no boots. <laughs> and so at this point they're in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm like I've got a truck lined up. I'm going to fly to Memphis if they get released. I'm going to drive them back myself. We finally get somebody, an angel who's willing to who walks down to the floor, puts the boots onto like dollies and puts them on the truck while we're on the phone <laughs> with them. And so they make it to Austin. 12 hours before the party, I'm at the depot waiting for them. We get them unloaded from the truck, put them in the back of my truck, drive them back, get them home, open them up. One of the things that's key about half of our boots is that we use specific leathers. All of our leathers actually are very unusual and we'd love to talk about that in a minute, but this one in particular is what's called a brush off. So it comes out one color and you hand brush it off with these particular types of brushes and machines and and, and a certain type of agitator that doesn't hurt the leather, but pulls it off and it creates this beautiful high and low to the boot. None of them have been brushed off. They're unfinished. And in my opinion ugly as hell you know i have this idea of what the the boot is supposed to be perfection and it's not and they i cannot show these boots and
3: you don't have the machines the equipment the expertise no. to figure this out
0: that chemical isn't even sold here in the united states in general how far
3: away is the party 12 hours at this point so you've got the boots but they're unfinished they're unfinished <laughs> phase one of your problem is solved <laughs> right. and now phase two has
0: emerged and so here's what I do, which is I go to the hardware store and I buy all these different, all the different types of, of, of automated brushes and pads that they have, all the chemicals they have. I go and I get, and, and I, I'm testing them out on my own boots. I found the combination. It was this chemical that you use to wax your car very fine there's a lot of that right behind you yeah i wish i had called you <laughs> <laughs> and so what that does is it takes it's an adjective it takes just enough but it doesn't harm the underlying surface yeah it's like a polish i was up till four o'clock five o'clock the next morning hand finishing personally every single pair of Chisos boots that went out the door
3: this is the beginning of 2020 you guys have just launched had your launch party you made it barely to the launch party Tell me what you want the company to look like at the end of this year. Do you have a vision for that?
0: Certainly. It's me and my first employee, Katie, cranking out. I thought that was the grind. You know, we're shipping boots every day. We're trying to keep the website up. We're handling every issue that comes up. We're on the phone with customers. It was a ton of fun. You know, 18-hour days, seven days a week. Loved it. January hits. Sales fall off a cliff
3: as they do you know i keep hearing this from people always like oh it's january like sales are down i'm like everything i remember from being in e-commerce or what I, and just selling anything online sales are always down in january everybody gets so paranoid too like everybody everybody forgets every year like yeah everybody's just like getting off the christmas high man everybody's coming back to work everybody's figuring out what they want to buy you know so not surprising
0: I knew it was coming, but I didn't emotionally prepare me for it, you know? And then I realized, actually, this is the grind, you know? The grind wasn't, hey, coming in every day and when orders are pumping through. The grind is now when orders are down. And so what we're doing this year is that folks are have, have gotten the boots now. They're, every day I get an email or even a phone call from someone saying, hey, I own 26 pairs of boots and this is the most comfortable one I've ever owned. And so we're partnering up with some other big brands. For instance, we have like Texas Independence Day at the oldest hotel in Texas, which the is Driscoll. the Driscoll, yeah, right? downtown. And we're going to be doing stuff for South By. And then we've got stuff with the Rodeo Austin here in, in town uh, that we're very excited about. But for the year, I mean, right now we have, we've got a little workshop and an office in the back of my apartment. And we have a rented 200 square foot storage unit, you know, stacked floor to ceiling with inventory, right? and it's, there's two of us by the end of this year i want to be at 10x the monthly inventory we are right now that's kind of like the stretch goal right but i think realistically we'll probably be you know at 6 one of the big things that i think every you know business founder has to go through is letting go and figuring out where your highest value is to put your focus and, you know, that's one thing that's been a real learning experience is, is we tried a number of things in terms of like marketing and events and figuring out which ones are actually hitting and focusing on those, focusing on our core demographic. Here's something that's a little funny about demographics. So, as you can imagine, Boot World in Texas is a good old boy's dream.
3: It's a big deal. You walk into this place and it just. You just smell the leather and and the fake the fake plastic heel cups
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh exactly. I wanted a different type of company, you know I wanted one that everybody felt welcome, and so we've we've taken an angle in terms of what we've done differently with our marketing you know our we don't use calfskin, for instance, which you know I'd never th- thought of it until I got into this world, but that's you know going down and taking baby cows and skinning them. We use retired dairy cow hides, which are tougher, but people usually don't want them because they're so coarse. So we figured out a way to soften them. So we actually use hides that the market doesn't normally want. So we're not creating demand. We're coming up and taking the secondary product and we're turning it into something that actually feels more premium. Than the industry standard, which is calfskin. Everything's 100% recycled, and we're much more inclusive in, in in how we market and who we're trying to approach. All that being said, it has made zero difference from the macro demographics of the industry to who is buying our boots. It's guys who you know boots. And so it's funny is that it, it not only is it happening online, it's happening at our in person activation. So, you know, there's this fantastic brewery here, it's gorgeous, and we set up with this our best-looking shop that we've done. We're there for a weekend. We have hundreds of people come through, talking about the boots, feeling the boots, trying them on, loving them. Zero sales. We go down to
3: Green, Texas. Green, Texas is south of Austin, like almost, I guess, like an hour. Is it the oldest dance hall? The oldest
0: continually operating dance hall in the state of
3: Texas. It is awesome. So you set up a shop in Green, Texas, and... Green Texas seems like the kind of place where people might want to buy boots.
0: Well, So here's what's funny is that we had much fewer people come by. And they're these old cowboys. They're out because their wives took them shopping. And I'm like, you know, holler down the comfortable boots, huh? I'll try them on. And so they put them on. They'll stand up on them and they go, damn, hand me a credit card. And that's the sale. They know boots And so they know how to judge them, right? They know the product category. And so they may not be the sexiest people to market to, right? Like everyone's trying to get the young hipsters, and all that kind of stuff. But not only do they know the product, they love the product. What's cool about
3: that is like so much information and knowledge passed through that one word, damn. You figured out how to make a boot that they've wanted for a long time or maybe that they wore 40 years ago. There's so much work, though, obviously, and you've told some of that story. And what went into that guy saying, damn?
0: It's rewarding, that's for sure.
3: Your approach seems to be mixed, Will, in terms of pop-up shops, local sales, and then internet sales. What do you think it's going to be in this first year? Do you think it's going to be this local approach? Or do you think it's going to be the internet approach that pushes
0: you forward? If you were to separate internet pop up shops and some other iteration of local, I think it's going to be primarily internet word of mouth spreads, you know we've got people who are buying from all around the state. We have buyers from outside of Texas. I think they're all ex Texans <laughs> but you know the pop up shops I think are not actually the way that we're going to continue. We're doing one this weekend with with the rodeo in Fort Worth, but it's more about. Attaching ourselves to brands that people trust and working with them, and they kind of it's almost like they pre validate us, right? Think about your buddy. Like, if I needed something with cars, I'm gonna call you, and be like, hey, what do you know about this? You're gonna tell me, and I trust that you've put in the work to understand it. And that's the way a lot of people work with other companies. You know, there's like the Driscoll partnership, for instance, is exactly that. You know, their demographic is our demographic, and they trust them. And so it's almost like the Driscoll's introducing us. And so far, we've seen that has been highly valuable. People then are willing to not only take it that day, but they're willing to then buy it through the website based upon the recommendation of that trustworthy source. Thanks, Will. I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Ian. This is a ton of fun. Big ups to
1: Mr. Will Roman, international man of mystery, for dropping by the pod. I was talking about last week on the podcast, these are the stories that just didn't exist 10 years ago. And they're even hard to find now, You know, although more and more people that maybe otherwise... I mean, look, Will's not going to sell a lot of boots from coming on this podcast. So that's all to say, I appreciate him sitting down with you.
2: Well, he sold one pair. <laughs> <laughs> I whipped my credit card out when he was here. <laughs> they are. And, a- he a, and he had a way to take my payment.
1: All right, boss, man. That is it. Thanks for joining me. We'll be back, as always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.